Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me as per usual, as we encounter, you could say, a surprise party in one instance of what we're discussing today, it's my good friend Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how are you doing today? Are you ready to enter the madman's paradise on this episode of the podcast? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm expecting some carnage, perhaps in some kind of musical key, um, which, I mean, to be honest, in a way, that episode was the true surprise party of the episodes we'll be discussing today, but I guess we'll get on to that. Yeah, should just say, before we go any further, folks, just to add a little bit of context before we get too deep here, if I maybe sound today like I'm a bit hoarse, or I'm not entirely with it, it's because, quite frankly, I'm not. I've been... Fairly under the weather. I, I, I unfortunately have had, had a, a nice friendly battle with COVID, as it were, over the past couple of weeks. It has done a number on me. Andy can vouch for this from, from what I have told him I have suffered through. So if at any point my brain seems really foggy or there's perhaps a dodgy edit where it sounds like I was about to talk and it was actually me coughing, but you guys never heard it. That's why things may sound a bit random for all we know. But otherwise, Andy, I am ready to go. And boy... Is it weird looking back at my notes on these episodes? And in one case, I do not remember watching this because I think I was watching it in a haze of COVID. Yeah, which I mean, yeah, we, we sort of had this discussion like at the time of like, is this the best way or the worst way to watch these episodes? I don't know. <laughs> There's an argument to be made that perhaps being somewhat kind of uh, beyond, beyond, you know, this mortal plane is maybe the best way to encounter these episodes. But I mean, I'm... One, I'm glad you're feeling somewhat better. Two, I'm, I'm also hoping that you're a little hoarse because you've actually been practicing for all of the important voice lines that you need to recreate from Carnage in C minor. <laughs> Whether that will happen or not today, we will see. I'm not sure if it's going to be physically possible. But you know what is possible, everyone, is how you can listen to this podcast. If you are joining us for the first time, thank you very much for giving us a chance. We hope you enjoy this and we encourage you to go through the archives where you can listen to us discuss all of Transformers Season 1, Season 2, the movie, and where we have got to in Season 3 thus far. You can find us on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now as well, if you feel so inclined to choose one of these platforms, you should be able to find us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music, unless something has gone wrong with what I've been doing in a haze of COVID. But we will see. But you can find us on there, and you can also find the video version of this podcast on YouTube. Every single episode that we record record of this podcast there is a video version available simply search for starscream's ghost podcast on youtube and you should find it just fine and if you would like to you can subscribe to that channel as well if you want to get in touch with us in another form we are on twitter and instagram you can find our account under the name at starscream's pod and i mentioned youtube a second ago all the episodes that we watch of Transformers Generation 1, we do so on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's a 100% legitimate way to watch all of the episodes of the Transformers. And today, Andy, the Hasbro Pulse ordering has dictated we are encountering the following episodes from Season 3. This being episodes 12 to 14 with, unless you've already figured it out, everyone, based on the intro, the following titles. Surprise Party. Madman's Paradise. And Carnage in C minor. There isn't really much more to say, Andy, before we get in, because going in, not knowing... I mean, I say there's not much more to say. I'm going to say something now. But 
going into these, I could tell we're probably going to be in for a bit of a goofy ride, and that was purely just on the thumbnail images on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, looking at those. In some ways, it doesn't surprise me, because I don't think in Season 3, off the top of my head, we have had things get to this wackier degree. There have been moments, but not actual entire episodes off the top of my head, I can think of that. Yeah, yeah, this feels like some of the sort of peak, you know, season two silliness that we had from time to time. Although that said, these episodes do ask some and answer some very important questions, such as, when is Ultra Magnus's birthday? <laughs> what does what does Grimlock look like dressed as a, a waiter in a fancy restaurant? Um, how is Broadside really big or really small? Which unfortunately is a question that apparently the animators cannot answer, as we see in Carnage and C Minor. How does um, Daniel look like in a tuxedo? Yeah, exactly. You know, so so some very important questions, some of which I didn't realise I needed the answer to until I saw it. Um, so you know, there's there's some stuff in here, but yeah, as a general point, I mean, Car Carnage and C Minor is is the fascinating one for me because that has ended up on a bunch of like VHS releases and stuff so I kind of had expectations of it like you know even you look something like Girl Who Loved Power Glide which you know has been much discussed on this podcast now you know that was like a sort of you know ended up being like a, a VHS episode as well and you could kind of see why so I kind of thought like oh okay this is clearly like you know not it's not like the return of Optimus Prime or we're going to kill Optimus Prime again or anything. But, you know, I, I was expecting something from that that I did not get, um, <laughs> I guess. So, yeah, that that was the one that kind of fascinated me because, like, I, I sort of knew it partly by reputation, but also partly by, like, well, they've released this, like, you know, actually put it out, you know, on preserved forever on tape so surely it'll not be terrible um and i i can i can maybe see what they were going for with that one but that that was the one that surprised me yeah the other two i had no kind of prior knowledge or expectations of and as a result were both like yeah sure those were episodes of transformers yeah carnage in c minor i think it was within a minute i kind of thought oh is this like the musical episode of transformers that i didn't know about <laughs> And it, 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 it turned out to really not be, like, not to the scale of, like, you've seen in some TV shows. Uh, first one that comes to mind, I don't know why, is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where there's just a full-blown musical, yeah. musical-style episode. It's nothing to that degree, but there is some interesting vocal inflections in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah for, for sure uh but yeah we can we can get on to to all of that but yeah this is very much a kind of considering some of the fare we've had recently this was very much a kind of filler episode in a sense of just like yeah none of these really have any massive you know ramifications on the, the history or future of any characters or anything in this show and this universe Indeed. So from there, let's get on to our first episode of the day. This being Season 3, Episode 12, Surprise Party. We begin on Cybertron, with Daniel Witwicky wandering around by himself. In a scene that Andy, I somewhat thought was reminiscent of the episode Dark Awakening, when he was kind of wandering around that Autobot mausoleum with all the lights out and there being no power in the room. And I'm thinking, man, Daniel, you do not have fun with all this, do you? Like, for all the good that we see, you get the short straw quite a bit. Yeah, and, and I actually found that really hilarious about this, where, like, basically, you know, 
shock horror this is actually the start of a surprise party for Daniel but it's like man you're just giving him like PTSD from like the reanimated shambling corpse of Optimus Prime bumping into him like a few episodes ago like wouldn't it be fun if we just recreate that and make it really spooky and like make him think he's in a bad a bad spot and it's like mm, this is maybe not the best like preamble to a party I've ever seen <laughs> So, as we've just mentioned, this was a, a lead into a surprise for Daniel, which saw a bunch of the Autobots and Spike, Spike Wiki, his father, shout, Surprise! And through dialogue, we come to understand that Daniel wasn't actually expecting this at all, and he also thought that Spike had forgotten, given that he had been preparing for a peace conference, which Wheelie assured Daniel that, nope, he had not forgotten at all, this was all Spike's planning. So it's nice to see that Spike does care about his kid periodically, you know. We then cut to a different location with a whole bunch of monitors on show, and Galvatron saying to himself, So, the Autobots set to make peace throughout our galaxy. There shall be no peace! And I, I wanted to write that down, partly because the inflection of the word be, I was not expecting. I was just expecting him just to shout that whole last sentence, but he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I also suspect that he was really just secretly upset that nobody'd thrown a surprise party for him. And it's like, you know, that 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 would have been a nice twist on this episode of like, oh, we should let Galvatron have a surprise party. Like, what would a good surprise party for Galvatron look like? Him just beating up all of his comrades. <laughs> yeah, just I know he's got, got a, a Unicron's head cake. I don't know. Like, with some, no, they'll no, just candles. hold the party in Unicron's head. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, they seemed like they pretty much had, like, a disco set up in there. Like, I think Cyclonus is, is secretly running it as a nightclub when, you know, it's not being used for any other nefarious ends. So, yeah, there's probably... I, I would bet, like, my head in my head canon, with every pun intended, that there are regular, like, rave nights in, in Unicron's head. Like, because, I mean, he has the whole, like, lights that can come out of his eyes and everything. Like, he's the perfect, the perfect location. <laughs> and sound doesn't travel in space, so no one will hear it either. <laughs> exactly yeah I mean, it's, it, they just hire sound wave as, as dj you know it'd be, it'd be good good time, good time. <laughs> suddenly we then see that the surprise party is interrupted by an attack from the combaticons targeting their fire towards a, a shuttle bay in particular wheelie ends up getting caught in the crossfire and ultra magnus ends up throwing himself over the top of the young rhyming autobot to save him from being shot which I thought, Andy, was a really cool character moment for Ultra Magnus, just really reinforcing that soldier, no one gets left behind mentality. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, I feel like Ultra Magnus gets such a short shrift a lot of the time in this show. Like, we've kind of talked previously about, one, he's kind of boring, and two, like, you know, in Transformers the movie, he screws up multiple times, basically, and, like, even in season three, it always feels like, yeah, he's not really... He's not really all that as somebody who was like a potential Autobot leader. So it's kind of nice that he actually at least occasionally gets moments where you'd be like, oh no, cool. Yeah, he is actually a good, a good soldier. After hitting the shuttle bay that I mentioned and destroying several ships in the process, the Combaticons then retreat. The aftermath of this attack reveals, through various bits of dialogue, that the damaged shuttles were meant to be transferring delegates to the conference that was mentioned in the previous scene the next day. First Aid is attempting to fix up Ultra Magnus, but he insists to put priority on the shuttles over himself. This instruction actually has a bit more of a profound effect on both Daniel and Wheelie, who are just enamoured with the way that Ultra Magnus is always putting himself before his fellow comrades. 
Did that come out right how I said that? You know what I mean. As in, I he think, would, yeah. Yeah, as in, he, he would rather everyone else be tended to first than himself first. I think I said that correctly. I don't know. Brain is foggy. Please bear with me, everyone. Now, Wheelie then exclaims that Ultra Magnus should be rewarded for, for the fact that he does this all the time. And at this point, this is when Magnus asks Daniel and Wheelie to accompany him elsewhere to see what else they can do to help because quite frankly they're not being much help in the shuttle bay at that point while they're walking elsewhere out of earshot of magnus we get the following conversation between daniel and wheelie and i'm gonna say now i'm not gonna try and do wheelie's voice i don't know if i could physically do that so daniel says remember what you said about throwing a surprise party and about rewarding ultra magnus why don't we have a surprise party for ultra magnus on his birthday Wheelie responds with, Sure, that's ideal. Hail and Hardy for Ultra Magnus, a party. <laughs> and Daniel responds with, So all we have to do now is find out when his birthday is. That ought to be simple enough. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> then we see Wheelie basically going, I know how to find out. We'll ask him. And then Daniel effectively going, No, because if you ask him, he'll get the idea that something's up. With neither knowing the date of his creation and not wanting to spoil their grand plan of a surprise, quite frankly, they head to Cybertron's Central Records. We then cut to seeing them arriving at the peace conference a while later, wanting to find Perceptor to ask him to help them specifically. Perceptor saying, Facts of such a prosaic nature are stored in the Hall of Records, says Perceptor. Then Wheelie says, no time to delay. Got to find birthday. <laughs> Bit of a stretch on that one, Andy. Don't you agree? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do feel sorry for whoever had to do the script writing. I, I suspect all of the script writers on the show probably hated it whenever Wheelie was like, you've, you've got to have some Wheelie in this episode. It's like, oh, I don't want to have to do the <laughs> rhyming thing. This is way too much effort. If someone goes, do the rhyming thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just make it work. Yeah, I mean, they should probably have done what they did with Omega Supreme in season two and just had the episode where it's like, no, he's just going to talk different in this one because we really can't be bothered. <laughs> so we get to the Hall of Records, Andy, and the pair don't get very far before they encounter what, according to the TF Wiki, is referred to as a custodio bot, who ends up telling them the following, and we get the following dialogue exchange as well. The custodio bot says, The information you seek is not available. Daniel, what do you mean not available? The custodio bot responds, not available means you can't have it. <laughs> Daniel responds with, well, why not? <laughs> the custodio bot says, because it's on a strange asteroid. <laughs> Daniel then says, what strange asteroid? And the custodio bot just says, oh dear, oh dear, you just don't know, do you? <laughs> Which my response to that was, no, he doesn't. Is this yeah, not that's, obvious? <laughs> that's why he's asking. I mean, I do, I do, I did like the the whole Custodio bot bit in this mm. episode. Like, that's probably one of one of the highlights of just having an original character that was kind of both fun and annoying at the same time. I I just got a, a good kick out of this scene as well. It was something fun. I also love the fact they just randomly dropped. Oh, the records are on an asteroid. <laughs> just like, wait, what? <laughs> Why has this never been mentioned? This is surely yeah, an important yeah. detail. Yeah, I mean, off-site backups and all that, very important. As a former IT guy, I get it, but <laughs> maybe don't put them on an asteroid? I don't, I don't know. Also, the fact he called it... Oh, in fact, I said strange asteroid. I meant storage asteroid. 
Oh, uh, well. <laughs> I mean, my notes, but... <laughs> I mean, it's a strange... An asteroid that's full of, like, hard drives is strange by, you know, by definition. <laughs> so it is also a strange asteroid. Now, surprisingly, Andy, to add to this conversation between these characters, we actually get a little bit of Transformers lore at this point to explain why the heck is there a storage asteroid. We get the following from the Custodio bot. Long ago during the Great War, the Autobots created an artificial storage asteroid. On the asteroid was data detailing the history of the Autobots to that point. If the Autobots survived, a homing device would lead them to the asteroid. If the Autobots were destroyed, at least their history and technology would survive. We then come to find out, Andy, <laughs> that this data was never retrieved because the homing device failed. The Custodio bot citing specifically technical difficulties being a possible reason. Yeah, I mean that that that's that's somewhat negligent on the Autobots' part not to have some kind of failsafe for that. I mean, I, ironically, like my first thought when when all of this came up is like, well, why did they not just put all the data on one of the moon bases? And then I realised like actually, it's probably a good job that they didn't put it on one of the moon bases, <laughs> given that they both got crunched by Unicron. So. <laughs> But either way, it was, it's another little random piece of law which implies, okay, someone clearly was thinking farther ahead here, but not farther ahead enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do I do like it as a, as a little fact. I mean, for, for all of my kind of pithy jokes about off-site backups, it's like, yeah, this, clearly you're making this up just to give you a reason for Wheelie and Daniel to, you know, go joyriding um but also it does make sense and it does kind of add up so like yeah sure it's it's, it's some decent law that is you know serving its purpose you mentioned joyriding after agreeing to give them the last known coordinates of the storage asteroid citing that it probably wouldn't hurt because who would give the, the two young whippersnappers a, an actual ship to actually get there Daniel and Wheelie then proceed to steal a garbage ship. Now, as a side note, it's very similar to what we saw Octane piloting at the beginning of the Starscream's Ghost episode, which we discussed in Podcast 22, if anyone wants to go back into our archives and listen to our thoughts on that episode. And the two head out to find the asteroid and the data. Now, it should be noted, Andy, no one stops them from taking this 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 vehicle quite frankly they just waltz in what well, no correction they run in and drive in and they just get in and then just rock up turn on the engine and fly off i mean i guess nobody expects you to steal a bin lorry right i mean it's like you know if, if it's if, if it's a, a sports car then you, you you're always worried someone's gonna pinch it if you're driving the garbage truck you know you're not expecting somebody's gonna run up and try and make out make Make out with it, make off with it. Um, so, I mean, yeah. it, it's funny you mention that, Andy, because unbeknownst to them, the movements of said junk ship are being watched by Cyclonus, who, as the TF Wiki so eloquently put it when I was looking this up, evidently didn't have anything else better to do better to do that day than to watch the flight path of a garbage ship. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Cyclones does seem to have a lot of fingers in a lot of different pies. Like, he always seems to be sort of involved in the periphery of everything. So somehow it doesn't surprise me that he's also just, like, monitoring garbage chips. Like, I, look, everyone's got to have a hobby. And, you know, <laughs> who am I to judge? 
And then upon him making known, hmm, that junk ship's kind of going off course, Galvatron then orders him and his troops to go and follow it, as it may provide an opportunity they need. Oh, man. So at this point, we then sort of get into a point where Daniel and Wheelie are stuck in a meteor shower, if you will. And now Wheelie demonstrates his great piloting skills by clipping an asteroid that sends them hurtling down in a tailspin, crash landing on a different asteroid. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I, I have words for just like how entertaining and stupid this whole like chain of events is but i i was i was just i loved the fact that we've kind of escalated from like when is ultra magnus's birthday through to i've just crashed a spaceship on an asteroid um in the course of like five minutes it's like try explaining that one to your dad <laughs> daniel <laughs> We then cut back very quickly, it should be said, to the peace conference, which has broken for a recess of some kind. Spike is now unaware of Daniel's location, as is Ultra Magnus. And Spike just assumed that he got lost got lost in time, as it were. Not literally lost in time, but lost in the time of researching for a school project. Oh, Spike. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was researching something, I guess. <laughs> I mean, when we think back to what Spike was like in seasons one and two... What was the one thing Spike was not doing? Researching very much. Well, no. I mean, he seemed to be researching every girl that came into the <laughs> show, mostly. But, I mean, apart from that, yeah. I mean, Spike, Spike was not exactly a kind of a, 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 a paragon of kind of uh, studiousness and intelligence, that's for sure. Back with Daniel and Wheelie. They are unscathed, nothing to worry about there, sans their ship being completely wrecked. While they're exploring what the heck they've landed on they are attacked by scaly flying eels which is how the tef wiki described it because i thought oh they must have an actual name no they don't just scaly flying eels and they yeah, end up go on sorry i was gonna say th this this felt like another one of those moments of just like did you lift this design from another show like <laughs> i don't suspect that they did in this but like this felt like it came from some other cartoon entirely because it's like okay i guess Alien world, you can do whatever you like, but, like, where the heck did this idea come from? I bet you it probably came from, like, a swamp episode of G.I. Joe or something. Yeah, yeah, it's just, like, one of those, like, you know, name an 80s cartoon and there was probably some weird, like, eel monster in it. They end up taking refuge in a cave because, apparently, Andy, hiding in a cave is how you hide from flying eels. I mean, who, who, who are we to argue otherwise, I guess? There's, there's not much precedent here. <laughs> now, conveniently, Andy, as if by pure luck and chance, this cave turns out to be the entrance to the opening of the backup storage facility that they were trying to find. Who'd have thunk it? You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, if it's a small asteroid, then, you know, it, it would make sense that you'd maybe stumble stumble into it. Inside the data bank, whatever we're calling it, the storage facility, sentry robots attacking them for asking for the wrong file name. <laughs> to make matters worse, the eels have now found their way inside and attached themselves to Wheelie as they are trying to drive away from the sentry bots. Daniel and Wheelie not having a fun time at this point. But in this instance, Andy, I think Daniel lucked out for being a flesh creature rather than an actual robot. Yeah, yeah, it seems like for once that was the advantageous position. Just as they are about to be shot by the sentry drones and eaten by the eels, 
said sentry robots are then just shot, as are the eels. And then we promptly hear a greeting from one of the sentry robots of, Greetings, intruders! <laughs> and this is when they raise their guns towards Wheelie and Daniel. But they are shot before they can fire themselves. Because it turns out they were destroyed by Cyclonus and the Sweeps, who take Wheelie and Daniel hostage and interrogate them. Gonna pause there for a second, Andy. Up to this point, because that's a lot of just like story we've done, but quite frankly, that's just how this episode is. It's not me not pausing for the sake of it. Thoughts so far? I mean, I guess it's like, it's it sort of makes sense. Like, we've not really had a sort of a, a Daniel has an adventure episode um, really thus far. And it sort of kind of makes sense to give him an episode like that. And this is uh, makes about as much sense as, as anything to have him and Wheelie go on this kind of little romp. Um, and yeah, you know, it's fine. Like you say, there's some interesting lore in there. Um, you know, I, I love the idea that like Cyclonus would interrogate these two about what they were doing. And it's just like, we're trying to find out Ultramagus's birthday. It's like, no, come on. What were you actually doing? What was this mission that you were on? Um, well, maybe Cyclonus, I mean, again, th there's, there's something here between like Cyclonus and Ultra Magnus that has carried through this series. Like maybe Cyclonus also really wants to know when Ultra Magnus's birthday is. That's also <laughs> a possibility here. Imagine. For me, this episode so far, it, it's not offensive in any way. Like there's nothing that's made me go, "What the actual hell am I watching?" It's just a random. This is like. This is a bit of a weird analogy. This is like, when it comes to like reading manga, sometimes you get like the four panel comedy like page at the end of a chapter and it's just a random side story or even like in comics in general, you sometimes get the like the main story and then before they finish the actual comic proper, there's like a few pages of like another side story that will carry on throughout like the run of the particular story you're reading. It's effectively something like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, there's there's not, again, and, and that sort of underpins all of these episodes we're talking about today. There's nothing really all that high stakes. Well, I guess Carnage and C-Minor has some stakes, but like, you know, you, you're, you're not going to have anything kind of new and, and incredible here beyond the, you know, where, where the Autobots keep their backups. So, the interrogation. I felt the need to write down some of the dialogue here, Andy. I felt it was important. So, Cyclonus says, Do as I say or the sweeps will destroy you. What is this place? Daniel responds with, Uh, an ice cream factory. <laughs> to which Cyclonus says, You are insolent, Earth boy. To which Daniel goes, Hey, thanks. <laughs> and then Cyclonus then says, Your insolence will only earn you pain. You will answer now. <laughs> At this point, we then quickly cut to Ultra Magnus, clearly on the trail of Wheelie and Daniel, speaking to Perceptor and then the Custodiobot. We then return back to the asteroid. Cyclonus's plan is to give the Autobots the asteroid back by reprogramming the asteroid into a collision course for Cybertron, and then send Spike a message to say he is holding Daniel hostage. Now, I've got that conversation in detail in a second here, for reference, Andy. I feel the need to point out, and I'm sure we noted this in a previous episode, why is it with the Decepticons now wanting to destroy Cybertron? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of... 
weirdly there's a part of it that sort of makes sense to me of a just like well if we can't have it then nobody will um but it does seem like especially it's not like they're living in luxurious surroundings it's not like they found like a good planet of their own they're on a planet that's literally called char like it's not exactly like a five-star hotel so you'd have thought that maybe they'd want to keep cybertron or what's left of cybertron it's already in kind of a mess but they'd kind of want to keep it intact in case they might take it for their own but no apparently not it's just scorched earth policy which again i guess that fits galvatron's kind of mindset of just like destroy everything but yeah it, it does seem rather short-sighted so that conversation that i mentioned from cyclonus back to cybertron here is how this unfolds daniel begins by going hi dad uh guess i'm in trouble huh spike then goes don't worry about that son where are you which i feel the need to point out andy when he just went don't worry about that son that was a line of, oh, mate, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that, that's the, like, we're not going to have this conversation right now in front of Cyclonus, but when you get home, there's going to there's gonna be words. Daniel then responds with, on the way back to Cybertron, Willie and I found the lost Cybertron storage asteroid. To which Spike then goes, that's great, we'll come and get you. <laughs> and then, Dan there's like a two-part bit now. So Daniel goes... Uh, Dad, we're not alone. And then Cyclonus just effectively shoves Daniel out the way and then just says, That's right, Earthman! <laughs> great moment. Cyclonus proceeds to give them an ultimatum in saying that he is not going to alter the flight coordinates or... And then we don't know what else he was going to say because the signal conveniently goes. Because even in space, everyone, there is bad phone signal. Let this be yeah. known. Yeah, I mean, this was this was an era prior to 5G, so, you know, I guess, you know, even even the Transformers have have uh, have Wi-Fi issues occasionally. So, in essence, the Autobots have two choices. It's destroy the asteroid and kill Daniel, or let the asteroid hit the planet and kill all the peace delegates. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> son, this is your final episode. Son, this is your punishment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is when you start checking through the, the episode listings for like the rest of season three to be like, is it the return of Daniel? Is this an episode? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Daniel and Wheelie are then thrown into a cell and we see Ultra Magnus take to the sky in... Well, I say take to the sky, take to space, in Skylinks. Upon arrival, they are both attacked by the eels that we saw earlier. The sweeps then attack both of them, but Magnus makes short work of them. Daniel and Wheelie at this point are then able to escape their cell simply, Andy, by driving through the door. <laughs> sure. Sure. All right. Whatever. Whatever works. Now, my only... I was to say my only defense for this. I don't know why I'm even going to say this. My only defense for this is that this is only meant to be like a storage asteroid. So I'm imagining it may not have been built with the idea there's going to be prisoners on board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's absolutely fair. You assume that, yeah, they were just locked in a supply cupboard or something. And But even then, it's like, you know, you might want... You've taken some prisoners. You might want some level of security to stop them escaping. Like, you know, you've got the sweeps there. There are, there are a multitude of ways you can ensure that they don't just drive away. Um, so, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess maybe they didn't care too much because, like, well, you crashed your spaceship, but, like, how else are you going to get off this planet? Uh, so, you know, maybe they were just not too fussed about it. 
they then go outside and just very quickly find Ultra Magnus and Skylinks. It's literally that simple. This is how the episode is going, everyone. I'm being honest here. They just try that. Again, it's a very small asteroid, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> so I guess it all makes sense. Like, this is all in a, a very a very short circumference. Also, the, the conversation we've just had about Sky versus Space. Complete sidebar. Why is he not called Space Links? <laughs> I think, so at this sudden, sudden like, light bulb moment, it's like, really, he should be called Space Links because he turns into a spaceship. I'm, uh, oh, God, I wasn't expecting this today. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um when we first saw him, were they on a planet? I don't remember. But, I mean, <laughs> he must have been, like, when he was named, they must have looked at him and said, well, you're a space shuttle. Like, his his mummy and daddy Lynxes must have been like, we'll call you Space Lynx, because you, you go in space and stuff. But, no, they went with Sky Lynx, which is also a good name. I'm mm. not, you know, not, I mean, you know, he's, he's not all that much of a Lynx most of the time, so I guess, you know, <laughs> bur- burying the lead somewhat. But maybe maybe Space Lynx is trademarked. Yeah, I mean, it really, yeah, can, can we now officially just get him called, like, Space Bird instead? <laughs> or just Lynx, you know? I mean, to be, to be fair, that's probably the name of his, like, third-party Transformers toy, is probably just <laughs> Space Bird. Actually, that's a random thought. Didn't, this is a real sidebar, and this is just where my brain's at, everyone. <laughs> Didn't Atari have a machine called the Lynx? Yes, there was the Atari Lynx, which is in no way affiliated with Skylynx. Now, what I'm thinking is... When did that come out? Hang on a second. Yeah, I mean, that was like... Early 90s? Late 80s? September 89, apparently. 89, yeah, that would be right. So, when did this episode air? Uh, Before 86. That. Okay, well, right. No, so, right. So basically, Scratch basically, tra- tra- Transformers invented the Atari Lynx. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's our takeaway. Like, all, all of the various things we've we found that Transformers did first before any other media or company, we can now add the Atari Lynx to that. From, there was, from the naming of Megadeth songs to the, to the, to the creation of the Atari Lynx. Yeah, there was there was no Lynx before, before Sky Lynx. <laughs> oh, Andy, never change. Uh, <laughs> what did we just anyway, do? What, 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 what were we talking about? Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah, an episode so, of Transformers. So, Daniel and Wheelie just found Magnus and Lynx outside, as it were. Magnus then heads after Cyclonus, and Skylynx then says, quote-unquote, if my superb physique would pass through the tunnels, I'd join you. And that was in response to Magnus making it clear that if he's not back in 30 minutes, head out without him. So, uh, Skylinks once again having the nice little, ah, I would help you, but I'm too tall, which is what I do in daily life sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if only he'd been in Carnage in C minor, then he would probably have just suddenly been small enough to fit through the gap. But sadly <laughs> not in this episode, because it's actually not badly animated. Now, for all of like the wackiness that we have seen in this episode, this is where genuinely we actually get some really good action. Because we now get to see a battle between Cyclonus and Ultra Magnus, continuing some things that we've seen before. And they are just pounding on each other, as it were, just not holding back with punches and whatnot. And it's genuinely a fight that's a great mixture of some hand-to-hand combat and laser fire. It's really, really good. At this point, Andy, apparently 30 minutes has already gone by. And Wheelie heads in, sneaks by, and presses the very convenient and quite literal self-destruct button. Yeah, I mean, could, because every everything in like any kind of science fiction has to have a self-destruct button, apparently. 
And then Cyclonus runs off at that point, then saying, Foolish child, you'll destroy us all. Gah, I must flee. And then at this point, the Autobots and Daniel end up escaping in Skylinks, and the asteroid blows up. There you go, from that's this is what happens to the the very you know quite important Autobot backup storage data facility. An Autobot blew it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a, a kid blew it up. It kind of makes it worse. <laughs> Now, back on Cybertron, Daniel, Daniel explains how they got into this mess. That because they were looking for Ultra Magnus's birthday. This is when Ultra Magnus is, is shot. Oh, I should say, everyone. Yeah, don't forget. The reason this all happened was because they're trying to figure out Ultra Magnus's birthday. Can I just say that? We lost a load of Autobot records of history of time because of Ultra Magnus's birthday. Yeah, I mean, you could just imagine, like, in kind of, like, reality of, like, we don't know anything about the Roman era because somebody wanted to find out Caesar's birthday, and I don't know, they just lost the entire records of that entire period of, of human history up to that point. Um, so, yeah, that's, like, the Transformers version of that. Like, well well done, Daniel. A, a, a job well done. Your father would be proud. <laughs> or not. Yeah, I mean, like, all, all the, like, you know shade we've thrown at Spike over the course of, of this podcast. Like, at least he never deleted the entirety of, like, Autobot history. <laughs> I mean, not that we know of. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I guess that's true. He's probably... I mean, he was yeah. an Autobot himself for a day, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that almost didn't end well either, but anyway. <laughs> so, upon hearing this, Ultra Magnus is shocked. Not because of how kind the gesture is, but because... He doesn't even know when his birthday is. That's the payoff, everyone. I mean, I've had days like that as well. I'm like, when is my birthday? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. How old am I? It's the, 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 there comes a point in time. I'm, I'm with Ultramagnus on this one. At which point, Spike then, I think, in an effort to clearly try and make this end happily, just goes, I know, today will be Ultramagnus's birthday. And everyone effectively just goes, Yay! <laughs> And the episode ends. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the. I mean, I guess it's the only way you can end that episode, really. Um, apart from like shooting Daniel into space for losing all of Autobot history, but yeah, like I guess there's there's no other alternative ending to this. But also, I mean, t to be fair, doesn't really give them a lot of time to plan a surprise party at this point. Like at least if da if if Spike said, "Let's make your birthday two months from today." Then you know, at least they they could have you know they could have had some time to prepare. I, I feel like he's ruined. Spike's ruined everything again. Spike. <laughs> so from there, let, let's now venture over to the TF Wiki once again and and see if there are any interesting or notable trivia notes regarding this episode. First of all, Andy, they, they do properly note this isn't the first time that Wheelie has almost been done in by a swarm of little flying brown alien creatures on some desolate rock. No, this is true. This is a recurring theme. Uh, there are a lot of animation and technical errors, which I will not run through all of them. So, actually, they, they mention this as well. So, apparently, no one is sad that the storage asteroid has been destroyed. How many priceless pieces of information have been lost? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I feel like the, the really great, like, 
twist of this, like, at the end that they could have done is to, like, after the whole, like, yay, today's Ultramagnus' birthday, is just, like, a cut to the depths of space, some chunks of asteroid flying around, and you just see one that just says Ultramagnus' birthday something something. <laughs> like, he had a birthday after all, and he just doesn't want anybody to know how old he is. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it is it is weird. It's the weird part of the, the light-hearted ending of just, like, you've lost so much and yet nobody cares. There is part of me, though, that genuinely thinks that given what we've seen Rodimus do just to try and get some information to help people out, he didn't just try to muller himself and just go in back into the Matrix to ask Optimus Prime. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that would be, yeah, like, su- Surprise Party Episode 2, you know, like, Rodimus Prime tries to commit suicide again. It's like, Optimus, when's Ultramagnus' birthday? He's like, what? Don't bother me with this. Like, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be dead again here. Leave me alone. Yeah. Optimus Prime just responds with, wait, you've journeyed into the Matrix to ask this? <laughs> you could learn so much more about Autobot history and you want Magnus's birthday? It's this date, by the way. But still. <laughs> He's like, all right, well, fine. When's Wheelie's birthday? <laughs> Honestly, Andy, there are not actually any additional notes on this episode, just in general. So That's fair. Uh, other than the fact that the TF Wiki does describe it as Daniel and Wheelie's first team up, oh noes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely fair. Yeah, like I, I do feel like this episode was kind of saved for me solely by that Cyclonus Ultra Magnus fight. Agreed. Which which season three has been kind of leaning towards for such a long time. I was not expecting this to be the episode where it kind of actually happened, um, but I was very appreciative of it. And yeah, again, I think we've talked about this sort of in previous episodes where so many battle scenes in Transformers are just like pew-pew lasers from a distance and kind of not that interesting. I always like it when they go for, you know, a mix of that and some fisticuffs or some proper like hand-to-hand combat because it's always far more compelling uh, to watch and and yeah like given this one has been sort of billed for quite a long time because you know we've had a few well all the way from like the movie onwards there's a, a very clear kind of you know match up between Cyclonus and Ultra Magnus um, and so like having it sort of come to some sort of fruition and that end up in an actual proper fight is like yeah that was cool like that was that was worth the price of entry for me yeah th- this episode like we said it is filler, but that fight between those two actually did make this worth watching. Aside from the dumb moments that there were as well, and the fun conversations, that fight was genuinely worth it. Yeah, for, for sure. I, I also now like to imagine that there is some, like, Autobot asteroid that is an ice cream factory floating around as well. And that actually, you know, there's... That again, surprise party episode three. <laughs> Daniel steals another spaceship to travel to the Autobot ice cream factory. Um, and then Cyclonus comes and, I don't know, it blows up and the universe is full of ice cream. And then everything's great. End of show. This is, this is, that was a deleted story for the, for the now only three episodes season four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just imagine if we'd have ended up with a full blend season four. Imagine the stories they would have told. Having the headmasters involved as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they can probably eat twice as much about ice cream. So. <laughs> so from there, everyone, let us advance as it is time to talk about Season 3, Episode 13, Madman's Paradise. On Cybertron, the Autobots are hosting a diplomatic event for a number of species. Do you see a pattern here, everybody, in these string of episodes? With Rodimus Prime, Spike, who is introduced, it should be noted, as quote-unquote Earth's ambassador to Cybertron, 
his wife, Carly, and Daniel. This is the, this is the, the Cybertron delegate, if you will, for this peace event. Yeah, I mean, I, I realise he's clearly matured a lot since, like, season one, but I'm not sure Spike should be Earth's ambassador to anything, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, I guess you take, take what you can get. Now, one ambassador compliments Spike and Carly's, quote-unquote, darling post-embryonic form, that being Daniel, and Daniel takes that the wrong way. Spike tells Daniel, then, that he can go off and play, but to stay out of trouble and keep the tuxedo clean and intact. Yeah, and also don't don't steal a spaceship and crash it on an asteroid again, please. Like, <laughs> that was expensive last time around. That's that's the thing as well. From what we can tell, going back to the last episode now for a moment, clearly no repercussions for the fact they they just offed completely a junk ship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess, like you know, episode twenty two point five, um, like you know, or, or episode sorry twelve point five of like you know, Daniel is grounded for a month is probably not a very <laughs> interesting episode of Transformers. But yeah, you'd like to think that he was kind of uh, he he got in some trouble. His his pocket money was taken away for a while. Daniel thinks that there is nobody to play with and complains that there is just nothing to do and. There's just, he's just nothing to do and he's bored, quite frankly. At this point, Grimlock, playing the role of catering assistant at this peace event, apparently, wearing an apron and a bow tie, hearing that, decides to give some help on the matter and follows Daniel. As the TF Wiki put it, Andy, it sure beats serving drinks. Exactly. And, and, and I, I will be completely and utterly honest here. I think I stopped taking notes as soon as I saw Grimlock dressed as a waiter. Um, <laughs> like that was that was it. I was kind of like I was already. I've I, I am fulfilled by this episode now. <laughs> it doesn't need to do anything else. I have seen Grimlock in a bow tie. Like what else can you possibly offer me? So I, I was kind of I, I I literally don't remember a lot of what happens from that point because I was just like, oh, that's great. I like this. And then yeah, I don't know. Some other stuff happened apparently. Uh, including Grimlock saying the line, I'm going to try this, it's probably going to wreck my throat, but he also then said, Me Grimlock play! <laughs> yes, which is also very good. <laughs> oh, pardon me. <coughs> there we go. <coughs> <coughs> that really did nearly muller me, flipping neck. Yeah, no, no, no more Grimlock boys for you. <laughs> However, Grimlock does not like the place where they are walking around. Daniel was then idly kicking a stray gear on the ground, which I almost equate to it being like someone just kicking a stone that's on the ground or just like a plastic bottle that someone couldn't be asked to put in the bin. Something like that. This gear ends up flying into like the side wall next to them and hits a secret panel, revealing a passageway opening up in the floor. Grimlock leans forward to get a better view, accidentally knocks Daniel inside, and in the process falls in two. My first thought, Andy, so much for keeping a tuxedo clean. Yeah, it, it, indeed. And also, I mean, there, there's a conspiratorial part of me, like he accidentally knocks Daniel into the weird <laughs> portal. It's like, probably, it's just like, ah, this is, I, I'm, I'm fed up with this kid as well. Let's, let's see if we can get rid of him. They're then sliding down a series of tunnels. It's almost like they're going down like a giant water slide or something, if you will. Minus the water, obviously. And they are both then flung across a large crevice where the slide ends, and both are barely able to grab onto a ledge on the other side. After then climbing up and proceeding onward, as they can't exactly go back now, 
quite frankly. They walk into a room that appears to have been untouched in quite a while. Sound familiar, everybody? Based on recent episodes, does that sound familiar? They find it is covered in ancient symbols along the wall, almost like an Autobot equivalent of hieroglyphics, or, as I wrote down, Andy, the old Microsoft Word font of wingdings. (laughs) Now, this place is very dusty, and this is when we discover, Andy, that Grimlock, in his alternate mode, has the ability to be a very good leaf blower. (laughs) (laughs) Because he then just proceeds just to breathe out from his dinosaur mouth and clears a lot of the dust out the way, much to the dismay of Daniel and his lungs, which is now full of, as I put it, cosmic dust. Yeah, cosmic asbestos, quite probably. Anyway... With much of this dust now cleared from the walls, Daniels notices a neat-looking monster. Almost something that looks like a dragon, if you will. But Grimlock thinks that it's handsome, like him. But in 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 basically putting himself over, you know, tooting his own horn, if you will, however you want to phrase it, he's wagging his tail. The tail hits the symbol on the wall. And this then causes a red circle in the floor to glow where the two of them are standing. And they start to sink. Daniel saying, Now what did you do? Grimlock responds with, Uh, make mistake? (laughs) (laughs) So it turns out that this red circle is actually a portal of some kind. And they soon find themselves somewhere other than Cybertron. In a medieval landscape of sorts. Daniel saying, Where are we? Grimlock saying, Not Cybertron. California maybe? To which Daniel then responds with, "Wow, even California's not this weird." I, I like how those are like the only two locations of which Grimlock is cognizant: is Cybertron <laughs> and California. He's like, yeah, he's he's clearly been reading the brochures for his summer holiday. He's like, ah, oh, me Grimlock go California. <laughs> we then see a creature, creature, excuse me, watching over the pair that ends up flying to a castle we can see on a peninsula in the distance. Inside, we see a laboratory of some sort and a person wearing a red cloak, and they are made aware of the arrival of the two people from Cybertron. He looks into a giant mirror, brings up an image of the pair, mentioning in passing before the image appears if they might be more of the Golden One's minions, and also makes mention of the fact that this strange land is known as Minonia. Which I'll tell you what, Andy, trying to write that down phonetically so I pronounced it right in my notes. Just saying, not easy. <laughs> Back at the party, Carly is having trouble finding Daniel. She asks Ultra Magnus or Blaster if they've seen him, at which point the alien ambassador, who called him like a post embryonic form earlier in the episode, says that she saw Daniel, who at this point refers to him as your little spawn, <laughs> walking away with a Dinopod. <laughs> Which, given everything, probably a fair name for him at this point. I mean, I, I, I like to think that Carly's first question was like, where do you keep your bin spaceships? Like, where are your garbage trucks? Just just asking, just out of curiosity. Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> the prospect of Grimlock and Daniel being together unsupervised naturally causes everyone to freak out. But Rodimus calls for calm, Andy, in only the best way that Rodimus can. Quote, Don't panic yet. Stay calm until we know what's going on. Then we'll panic. (laughs) The Autobot leader then sends Blaster and Ultra Magnus to search for them, with Carly tagging along. 
just to pause there for a second, Andy, a lot of setup once again I've described there. As far as kind of random filler episodes go, if you will, this one has at least got a bit of mystery and intrigue to it as well, kind of delving into like the bowels of Cybertron a little bit and, you know, what is this place? Why are they now in like a medieval landscape of sorts? I like the way this was building. Yeah, it's such it's such a weird pivot, though. Like, it's it's the, the bit that I, I think kind of, like... Well, I mean, again, Grim- Grimlock dressed as a waiter is what lost me um, <laughs> mentally. But, like, beyond that, I think, yeah, going to this weird sort of medieval thing, or, like, how did we get from there to here? Like, I don't know. It feels, it feels like a really weird stretch. It... I mean, again, maybe maybe we'll come round to, to this, but it felt like one of those season two episodes where we checked the TF wiki. It's like, yeah, this episode was actually written for another series and then <laughs> retrofitted to be a Transformers episode. This very much feels like one of those that this was supposed to be like, I don't know, a Dungeons and Dragons episode or something. <laughs> and then somehow it ended up being in Transformers season three because nobody would take it. This is a this is a reworked script from Ninja Turtles season five or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like any of those shows, it sort of feels like yeah, it would fit. It would kind of fit in there as like a weird thing. And in Transformers, it's like this is sort of th- this just feels at best like the writers like ah, oh, I'm just I don't want to write robot stuff again. Can we do some <laughs> like fantasy thing instead, but with you know Grimlock? <laughs> and it's like all right, then go on. I've been reading books about Merlin recently. How about this for an idea? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it has that vibe to it for me, and I, I think that's like I don't know. I I like I like my Transformers to be pure, um, and so I always struggle with these kind of episodes where they they kind of take a bit of a, a left field tilt at things. Back to the story. Elsewhere, Grimlock and Daniel come across some strange tree centaurs, as the TF Wiki describes them. They demand to know whom the two fight for, and Grimlock promptly says, "Nobody." The tree centaurs then decide to attack, and that's a bad idea, as Grimlock just tosses them around, quite frankly. However, one tree centaur causes Grimlock's leg to freeze, making him fall down, because he could only stand on one leg, apparently. Or something to that effect. The tree centaurs then begin trying to just keep Grimlock on the ground. So I think with all of this, it, it, it is all a bit weird, but just go with the flow, people. This is literally what happened. Now... The man in the cloak that I mentioned, a red cloak specifically, I should say, is impressed with Grimlock's power and sends a bolt of lightning to, att- to attack excuse me, one of the tree centaurs with a wave of his tentacle. Hmm? What does that mean? Have you figured it out yet, everybody? He heads out, changing his tentacle into a hand, and welcomes Daniel and Grimlock to Mononia, the realm that they have entered. He offers an invitation from the Red Wizard who is clearly the old man himself. In response to the man in the cape saying that the Red Wizard wishes to see them in the castle, Grimlock says, Sounds good to me! To which Daniel then says, I don't know, my mum says never to go off with strangers. (laughs) To which Grimlock then says, Everybody here, stranger! Us no go with stranger, us not go! Did, did, did your mum also tell you not to steal spaceships and crash them on asteroids, though, Daniel? I mean, just saying. I mean, hey, Wheelie wasn't a stranger. I mean, yeah, maybe that's his excuse. Like, yeah, I mean, cut, cut, spaceship jacking is fine as long as it's with someone you know. Inside the castle, we hear the following story from the man in the red cloak. Quote, 
Long, long ago, the red wizard fell from the sky through a strange red circle. Of course, he was not really a wizard then, merely a dabbler. He was taught to craft by the former ruler of Minonia, the Golden One. Indeed, he was the master's favourite pupil, always impressing the Golden One with some remarkable new skill. Quote, Should be noted, while we're hearing this story being told, the actual flashback we're seeing differs considerably to what we're actually hearing, and its, Im it's imagery is contradicting what's being said. For example always his favourite pupil, impressing the Golden One. We actually see an experiment the Golden One was doing that was actually basically messed up by the red-cloaked person, as it were. To give you some context there. Quote, But one terrible day, tragedy struck. Quote, This is when the Golden One is led to a cave by the pupil and sealed inside it by a giant boulder. Quote, The Golden One vanished mysteriously. There was only one thing the Red Wizard could do. Rule Minonia in the Golden One's place. The Wizard brought centuries of prosperity and peace to our land. As we, the viewer, see images of slavery, torture, poverty, things like that. Yet, some were jealous of his power. And so the attacks began. Malcontents of Minonia's races joined forces to seize the throne for themselves. As we, the viewer, see imagery of people being completely outmatched by the Red Wizard's monstrous powers. And monsters, more to the point. You, mighty Grimlock, could help the Red, Red Wizard, excuse me, preserve the kingdom and protect his people. End quote. So, short version, he asked Grimlock for help. <laughs> While Daniel, who is asleep at this point because he's drunk some weird tea or something, I don't know, is taken somewhere more comfortable i.e. the dungeon. We then get a scene where we can see more of the forces coming towards the castle ready to storm it, and Grimlock is confused because he sees all the forces out there and the fact the Red Wizard's next to him and is effectively going, if you're so powerful, why don't you use your power to defeat them? <laughs> At which point, the red-cloaked man, very passionately Andy, responds with the following, and I'm going to try and do the inflections how the Red Wizard said this, because it was very weird, but I have to write this down. Because his enemies are many, like insects, they swarm and attack, and attack, and attack with raw force, primitive magic driven by hate, by envy. They will not stop! <coughs> I regret doing that, but it was worth it. <laughs> At which point, Grimlock simply responds with, me, Grimlock, just wanted to know. <laughs> As ridiculous as, as this is, Andy, I did get a kick out of all this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually, I, I do enjoy having, like, Grimlock on board for this adventure because his kind of, like, reactions to everything kind of helps make this quite a fun episode. We then see a lightning bolt appear, an attack from the opposing force, and the red-cloaked man says he must assist elsewhere and leaves. Back on Cybertron, at this point, Steeljaw has tracked down Grimlock and Daniel's scent and discovered the room that they were in. Rewind, uh, this being like the cassettes, by the way, from Blaster, I should note. Rewind analyzes that there is a pathway of some kind hidden, but it was last used, according to the schematics, in a pre-Autobot time period. After revealing the pathway, which was simply Steeljaw, or it was, it was Steeljaw or Ramhorn, one or the other, just basically lifting it up. It wasn't actually anything fancy. After revealing it, they end up in the same room that young Daniel and Grimlock were in when they got transported to the other world. 
It turns out, according to Rewind, all of the writings on the wall, the hieroglyphics and stuff, are Quintesson inscriptions. And the room was a banishment point for Quintesson criminals, where they would exile their own to various different dimensions depending on the crime they had committed. We also get a little description of, of different Quintessons that were banished to specific locations, which were noted on the actual walls themselves. Rewind concludes that the Wayward Duo are in Mononia, where, oh, I'm going to mess this up, Mara al Utha was banished for practicing sorcery, Andy. <laughs> the idea of a Quintesson practicing sorcery is very amusing to me. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that works, but. But sure, and 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 again, like the the, the Quintessons just like involved with everything in season three. Like clearly, clearly, clearly got a very good agent to be like, now you've got to be in every episode somehow. <laughs> Perceptor then arrives, activates the portal, and stays behind so that he can reopen it when they need help. Back in Mononia, Daniel wakes up and sees an old man wearing a red cloak chained to the dungeon wall. Can you figure out where this is going, everyone? Can you? We come to find out that the Red Wizard can assume many shapes and is the one who imprisoned both Daniel and this person in the red cloak in the cell. The old man is actually the star pupil that was mentioned in the story earlier. Now, using a handy dandy energy blade, as the TF Wiki put it, but it's basically the world's smallest lightsaber. Let's just call it what it is. Daniel frees the old man, who explains that the Red Wizard is the one that imprisoned the Golden One in the cave mentioned in the story earlier. The Golden One's loyalists then begin attacking the castle, which frees both of them from their cell. Grimlock, still being duped at this point, begins fighting off the invaders, including using a regular old sword, Andy, to fend off energy blasts. An, an old an old classic. Everybody loves the old swords-deflecting energy blast trick. <laughs> always, always goes down well. Daniel and the old man head for the cave in which the Golden One was imprisoned, while the Autobots and Carly, having now arrived in Mononia, head to assist Grimlock. However, when Daniel got to the cave, a piece of his tuxedo is sort of cut off and just starts flying in the wind, if you will, which conveniently lands in the path of Carly. And then Steeljaw ends up sniffing him out, as it were, and goes to find Daniel Carly joining him as well. At this point, the castle siege has basically been prevented and Grimlock and co have sort of won the day. In part because the Red Wizard, i.e. the Quintesson, has, um, oh, spoiler everyone if you don't know, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, has basically assisted with a giant bit of, of magic, if you will. Or sorcery, as the, is the actual word. We then cut back to the cave where the Golden One is sealed. Daniel is just too weak to open it, as is the man in the red cloak having been locked up for so long. The Autobots and Carly arrive. Everything is kind of clarified from Daniel's perspective, saying it's the Red Wizard that is evil. But And at that point, Carly says, well, the Golden One's loyalists are already in retreat. And since they can't move the stone and free the Golden One, basically everything's in despair. What the heck are they going to do? Cue Ramhorn Andy to conveniently be there just to literally run through the rock. Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, it's that weird thing because like a few a few episodes ago we had that um, kind of like little end of episode thing where there's a whole bit about like that in involved like blasters tapes and there's some really good footage of Ramhorn running through things and it's like, oh, that's where that came from. That's pretty <laughs> cool. That was well animated. 
I do feel the need to point out, this is just an observation from me here. If the golden one is someone who can practice magic, and as we come to find out in a minute, can also change shape himself, could he not have just escaped the cave? I'm sure he could he could go through some long monologue to tell you why he couldn't possibly do that. But yes, I mean it does it it does it does beg some questions. Um I don't know, something something anti magic. I mean, if you want to give the caveat of like the golden one does go on to say like he needed sunlight to have power and stuff, I can give you that, but he was in there for a minute and probably could have just busted out. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe he needs. Maybe he he's not like a solar panel. He doesn't like store up the energy. Maybe he <laughs> needs it directly immediately. Otherwise, it's a no go. That's that, that's what I'm gonna go with. But yeah, there are there are questions to be asked. But anyway, the golden one is freed and is exposed to sunlight and re-energized. The old man in the red cloak, i.e., the star pupil, trying to keep you up to date, everybody, because this is confusing. Trying to write this all down. Uh, explains what has happened to the Golden One, and the Golden One then transforms into the same dragon we saw depicted in the glyph on Cybertron, and flies to attack the Red Wizard, i.e. the Quintesson's castle. The Golden One's arrival causes the Red Wizard to reveal his true form, the Quintesson Mara Al-Uther. The Red Wizard... Sorry. The real Red Wizard... No, wait... The Quintesson Red Wizard, I tried to write this down logically, I can't do it now. The Red Wizard, i.e. the Quintesson, attacks the Golden One, who is too weak to defend against the attacks of the Red Wizard, a.k.a. the Quintesson. <laughs> However, he knows counterspells that will stop... You know what, I'm just going to do this way, Andy. He knows counterspells that will stop Mara Al-Uther. There you go. That's how I'll get around this. But he needs to be heard in order for him to take effect. Now, Andy, Andy, if you're someone who clearly has got a big booming voice, and that's normally how you would cast spells and whatnot, but you feel a bit weak, it's really convenient to have a tape deck with a microphone, isn't it, on standby? Yeah, yeah, it's like, finally, <laughs> Blaster's time to shine. You could always hear him in the background, like, yes, this is my bet. <laughs> we then see the Golden One speak his counterspells into the microphone, and Mara Al-Uther is banished somewhere else. That's the payoff for all this, everyone. Literally, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's the end. <laughs> With the battle over, the Golden One sends the Autobots and the humans back to Cybertron. However, when they get back, Spike wants to have a talk with Daniel. Hmm... The boy would you talk Daniel insists that it was it was just an accident, it wasn't his fault. And Grimlock backs him up and says, Daniel didn't mean to ruin his tux. <laughs> and much like you I... did, Andy, everyone begins laughing. Yeah. Yeah. And the episode I mean, it's ends. All's well that, that ends well. I mean, yeah, cr crashed the spaceship, ruined a tuxedo, all in two episodes. <laughs> you know what, Andy? Like, there was some this isn't a great episode. It's really not. But the, the stuff on Cybertron at the beginning involving Grimlock and Daniel was genuinely quite interesting. And how they somehow... Well, in fairness, excuse me, the, the lore part where there's kind of like a banishment chamber that the Quintessons made, that was actually genuinely quite interesting as a concept. So I did like that. Yeah, yeah, there's some little odds and ends here. Yeah, like if, I feel like Grimlock in general is kind of MVP of making this episode entertaining. Um, he's kind of like 
he, he's just goofy enough to kind of lean into some of the stuff that happens here. And yeah, I mean, you know, I appreciate this, this episode sort of setting out its kind of mystery and the whole what's going on angle in this other world, um, which, you know, it, it was not to my taste necessarily, but I, I, I get what it's going for. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, overall, it's just a kind of passable episode. Like, it's sort of... There's not a whole lot you can poke fun at with it, but it's also not like a high tier. Like, oh, this is really good, really interesting stuff. It's just fine. Fair. Absolutely fair. Yeah. Can't really add much more to that. But can the TF Wiki add anything to this? Uh, apparently, the establishing shot of Cybertron in this episode, Andy, is a recycled shot from Transformers the movie. Okay, that that makes makes sense. Yeah, I mean, why why not? <laughs> Which they also add in a season where Cybertron's appearance is different in almost every episode. A rare note of consistency. <laughs> <laughs> yes, also true. Uh, in a continuity ever uh, error, excuse me. In forever is a long time coming. Ramhorn spoke normally, aside from a bit of a stutter. Here he just growls and roars. And they also add he won't speak in any of his future appearances either. Yeah, I mean, it's th- th- this is up there with the like that the should Legos talk debate of like you should should like a, a cassette tape like Ramhorn talk because it's like Laserbeak and Buzzsaw don't on Soundwave side like it. I don't think Ramhorn should talk like I think he should just like growl and grunt and stuff because he's an animal tape. So no, that that is that is the correct thing for him to do. <laughs> I will say, actually, come to think of it, when on the Soundwave side, we've not seen the, the, the bat that the, the name escapes me again. Of since no, we've not. We've, we've no, we've not seen any more of, of Rat Bat. I think he, I don't know. I think he maybe does come around a bit more in in kind of late season three. Maybe I, I feel like there's. I feel like I've definitely seen episodes where he's around. So yeah, hopefully we'll get some more because he's a pretty good. Like he's he's. A, he kind of like punches above his weight as far as like the tapes go. Like, I mean, certainly in, in the UK comics, like Ratbat becomes a pretty important figure. Like, he's almost like running the Decepticons at some point. Oh wow! Which yeah, because like he's he's a bat, so he's super smart. Because that's how that works. Because <laughs> you know, uh, Batman. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something, something. But yeah, like like no, he he really kind of like punches above his weight there, and I I I don't think he ever really gets that in the cartoon. But uh, he's 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 cool. And the only other trivia note, really, is that the actual spells that were said in this episode were actually written in the script. I'm not going to try and say them. If you want to see them, everyone, go to the TF Wiki, please. My voice can't take that. Uh, The one random thing I will note is that when it comes to, like, foreign localization of this episode, because obviously, you know, names of episodes sometimes get changed for whatnot, depending on their, um, just depending on the localization, the majority of the names of this episode are in effect the red wizard or like the red magician or madman's paradise the one which i find interesting which doesn't surprise me in some ways the japanese name for this episode andy daniel in wonderland yeah i mean that that's a weird way to sell in where he ends up i mean there's not really much of an Alice in Wonderland. i thought i thought the japanese title was just going to be grimlock in a tuxedo because <laughs> that would that would have been a very good way to sell that episode into people but but no i guess not there we go so we got one more episode to talk about today everybody it is time to advance to season three episode 14 carnage in c minor 
Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. We begin the episode by seeing the Decepticons building engines into the side of a comet to alter its course to crash it, not everyone, to Cybertron, but to crash it on top of Metroplex, specifically. Yeah, and what more localised goals? I mean, it's like, well... <laughs> If we can't blow up the entire planet, like it's, uh, it's also weird because we've sort of we've had a bit of a run of a few episodes where nobody's mentioned Metroplex, and it's only like, oh, the Decepticons are still really hung up over Metroplex being really big or small. <laughs> like he could be any size in this episode; it varies. But anyway, also actually speaking of Decepticons, it just occurred to me one in one note that we didn't mention was no Decepticons in the last episode. No, 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 absolutely Decepticon free. So, as the engines are fired up, a group of Autobots that includes Ultra Magnus, Perceptor, and Blaster are closing in. Perceptor is taking the credit for the fact that he knew that he was right about there being some Decepticon activity in the area. Ultra Magnus is clearly just already tired of Perceptor. is effectively going, yes, fine, you were right. Yeah. Also, I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty low stakes bet to be like, I bet the Decepticons are up to something. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's a bit like waking up in the morning and saying, I bet there's some weather today. You know, it's not really one to boast about Perceptor. I predict daylight. Yeah, it's like, you know, come on, that's a, that's a low buy that you're clearing there, my friend. When the Autobots begin to attack, Galvatron is very dismayed as he just starts shouting, quote unquote, no, not when we're so close to victory. Which I thought, mate, you're not that close. Like, how far yeah. is Sastroid? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you, you've not even really, you've barely started your plan. This is not really, the, the, the Decepticons have been far closer to victory on numerous occasions than they are at this exact moment in time, I will say. <laughs> It's like the equivalent. Was it in Starscream's Ghost when we're going to get the fight between Rodimus and Galvatron? And he's like, I've waited all my life for this moment. And we pointed yeah, out, yeah. it's been a year. Come on. Yeah. But when is Galvatron's birthday? I mean... I mean, I guess there's... whenever the movie takes place, technically. Well, you see, but that's the thing. Like, is it Megatron's birthday? Uh, let's not get into that again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Daniel Witwicky, if you're watching this, when's Galvatron's birthday? Think about that for a second. I'm sure someone's got a note in the guide somewhere. There must be. <laughs> At this point, Andy, we see the Constructicons, and they form Devastator, who is promptly flattened by Broadside when it drops out of the sky as a ship. Yeah. I mean, Broadside in this episode is... is I mean, I, I've, I've made a bunch of, like, size jokes in this, in, in this podcast already, but Broadside's size is highly questionable throughout this episode sometimes he's tiny sometimes he's huge sometimes he's somewhere in between nobody seems to know how big broadside is um also i i went down a weird rabbit hole after this episode of looking up what his toy looked like because i don't think i'd ever seen it and man does it suck um i'm not i'm not surprised that they didn't really ever I certainly never saw it that I recall in any like local toy shops or anything near me. And I was like, yeah, because I vaguely remember the character, but I don't remember ever like seeing or because I mean, we've had this so many times we've talked about like various characters like, oh, yeah, I, I had the toy and I loved it or I really wanted it, but could never find it. I was like, I don't recall ever wanting or having any thoughts about Broadside. Why not? And then I looked at his toys like, oh, well, yeah, now I understand. So. What? OK. Cast your mind back a little bit, Andy. Remember, I want to say it was in, like... It might have been the Killing Jar episode, when, like, I think it was Broadside that randomly lured uh, Cyclonus onto the ship. 
And I yeah, kind of mentioned yeah. that when I was looking it up, I'm sure Broadside's an Autobot. But did you notice that when Broadside like landed on top of Devastator, the side of him like had a giant Decepticon logo on him? But then when he transformed, just a giant Autobot logo in his chest. Yeah, it is one of the bazillion animation errors in this episode. Um, and yeah, it's one of the more kind of glaring, like, how did... I mean, I'd say, how did they not spot this? I suspect what happened is they spotted it and they just didn't care. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely like bonkers of, of all the things. Like that's kind of lowest common denominator of like, at least put the right Lego on the dude. But no, even, even that proved beyond this installment's capabilities. Uh, we should say from the outset, everybody, if you've not actually seen this episode, you're just letting, you're just letting us tell you about the story. Let's just call it like it is, Andy. The animation in this episode is utter garbage in places. And that's being yeah. polite to it. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is much like we sort of talked about a bit with Five Faces of Darkness, that when you talk about bad animation, you're normally talking about like, oh, they didn't draw things very well. It's a bit off model. Some of the sizes are a bit off. But like this episode, like it's really badly framed and shot as well. Like especially like the start of this episode, there are w really weird kind of like tight crops in on character faces, uh, really weird angles and kind of positions that just makes. It's not even that it looks bad. It's like it makes those scenes really like uninteresting to watch. Because, you know, you can have just characters talking and just frame it in such a way that makes it feel natural and at least kind of visually interesting. And they just completely screw all of that up. Then you have a bunch of shots of, like, the characters flying through space, which, again, just has really weird, like, perspectives and kind of, you know, angles for those shots. Ultra Magnus and looks like a chibi Nendoroid at one point. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just all really weird and then yeah you kind of get just into proper just super the... deformed it's so weird yeah and then you just get into the more generic yeah like weirdness where it's like you know they can't decide what color the characters are what sizes they are like you know sometimes ultra mag you know is, is ultra magnus tiny or is he just far away you know it's, it's kind of there's a lot of that going on and as mentioned like broadside suffers the most from this where they clearly i mean it's, it's an interesting i think one of the notes is that He's not even based off of, like, the final models. He's based off of, like, one of the prototypes for that toy. So I can I can kind of understand that there was probably some confusion as to how big to make him. Um, but it's like they couldn't even just decide on, you know, one size for characters to, to figure out, you know, to keep it consistent. And, yeah, that just goes on all the way through this, like, the, the colouring, well, I mean, the colouring is off on all of Acom's episodes, their entire reference models are wrong, um, but, yeah, there's just so, so much wrong with it, I mean, it's an incredible laundry list of errors um, that we, we won't go into in great detail, but, yeah, it's really, even compared to Five Faces of Darkness, which was bad, but mostly functional, this is bad and barely functional a lot of the time to the point where you're just like, wait, what's that? Who, who's that? Uh, I don't know what's going on. Well, speaking of who's that, did you notice that Braun was randomly in shot at one point? Oh yeah, yeah. Bra Braun and Huffer are alive and well, apparently, <laughs> for, for one for one shot of season three. I mean, I don't know. Look, Optimus Prime came back to life briefly. Like maybe, maybe some somewhere somehow something happened to Braun and Huffer that they were somehow reanimated for for a second. I've or got I've got this not. vision now that the Quintessons were like, who should we revive from the dead Autobots? It's like Optimus Prime. Okay, cool. 
And then together, have a dart board. Just like throw a dart. Who do we get? Brawl and Huffer. All yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, they were aiming for Prowl and Ironhide, but like Brawn and Huffer were just like on the outside of the board. Like, oh, well, fine, I guess then. <laughs> like I, I miss, I miss Brawn's pithy one-liners. I miss you, Brawn. <laughs> I, I was happy to see you back for those brief seconds, even though you didn't actually still exist. Uh, but I, I think there's also a bunch of like weird errors in terms of. Because I think there's like a point in this episode where Ultra Magnus or somebody like talks about how they're outnumbered or something, but there are actually more Autobots in that scene than there are Decepticons by a significant degree. And like, oh, we're totally outnumbered, and it's like, no, there's like seven Autobots and like three Decepticons here. Like, this is not that's not how that works. Oh, the studio did not have a good day, did it? So, in the ensuing battle, the engines that have been made onto this asteroid are destroyed. Hooray! However, the explosion from said destruction of said engines has now sent the comet hurtling towards a small planet, which Perceptor reports is inhabited. The Autobots then attempt unsuccessfully to stop the comet before Galvatron again orders his men to engage their foe. While Galvatron and Ultra Magnus are grappling, and this might be at the moment when Ultra Magnus was in, like, super deformed mode at this point, it should be said as well, we suddenly get waves of sound energy appear, and they destroy the comet and cause both groups of Transformers to plummet to the planet's surface. In a nearby city, we see three aliens having a disagreement. One of them, Allegra, storms out, saying, singing, I should say, that she's going to her retreat. <laughs> Excuse me. So, let's just talk about this dialogue now, Andy, from these inhabitants. We mentioned at the top of this podcast, everyone, today, that this this is like the closest we're going to get, we think, to a musical episode for Transformers. All the dialogue of the three main inhabitants that we hear from in this episode are quote-unquote sung. I say quote-unquote because occasionally... Not sure if that's singing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, it is not the most kind of like passionate rendition of what they're trying to go with here. I, I've got to admit, I'm kind of a sucker for this kind of thing. Like, I, I really like it when they have the like, oh, weird alien race, they talking song, like, you know, and it's dumb, it's stupid. I found it incredibly funny throughout this episode, but there's also something kind of endearing about it. Of like, hey, you could have just had it be fine like you know there are sort of like you know sound weapons involved in this but you could have had that and not had all the the alien characters singing but you went for it and i appreciate that i i i appreciate what you were going for here even though it is maybe not to everybody's taste yeah to try and and give an idea of what some of this dialogue will be, i don't I, i'm gonna tell you now andy i'm pretty sure i don't actually have any of the specific dialogue written down that was sang because i thought i can't sing this of how i'm feeling but to try and give an idea of what it may have been like every time these characters spoke, to try and imitate maybe two of them, it's like, Why must you be so harsh? And then another one responding with, No, I'm not. I'm telling you the truth. It's almost like that, basically. 
Yeah, it's almost like that, but worse. Like, oh, thank you, mate. Thank you so much. But worse. Like, no, that, that is legitimately. I think you put more effort into that than any of the characters here because post-COVID just... singing, everyone is better than what we had in this episode. Yeah, exactly. Because mostly they were just intonating weirdly, so it sounded a bit like a song, and it's like <laughs> you know that was it was just it felt kind of a bit phoned in, which is probably understandable because <laughs> they're probably like, oh, do we really have to put ourselves through this for this stupid cartoon? Um, and uh, yeah, like it, it was, it was not really full throated in any sense of the word. Um, but I think that just made it funnier for me because it was just that, like, it just lived in that space between like singing and kind of talking with some intonation. And it's like, I don't know, this is entertaining me, but probably in ways that was not intended by the writers of this episode. <laughs> The Transformers recover from their crash landing, wondering what the heck hit them. Soundwave describes the sounds that appeared as, quote-unquote, heaven, the purest, most vibrant, most perfect harmony that he has ever heard. Which, by the way, is now my new like all-time favourite line in Transformers. Like, Soundwave saying it of everybody. Also, by the way, welcome back, Soundwave. Like, yeah, right. We haven't seen you for a little while. Um, so good good to good to have you back. Um, but I, I don't know. There's something that I, I really loved about that line coming from Soundwave. Because we've had Blaster and kind of like characters like Jazz Wax in there call about music. Always got the impression that Soundwave was more of a, a, a an audiobook guy. You know, he wasn't really into the music. So for him to for him to like react and be like, Oh, that was that was so beautiful, Galvatron. It was such a nice song. Um, it was uh, I mean I, I also wanted to kind of clip clip that out and just like find terrible songs to lay over the the, the top of that scene and then have Soundwave be like, That was so beautiful, it was the most incredible melody I've ever heard because that would amuse me greatly. That might be my new Twitter channel, I don't know, we'll see. Soundwave reacts. Yeah, it'd just be like, yeah, it'll be like, you know, Rick Astley followed by that line from Soundwave. <laughs> Soundwave Rick rolling Rick Astley. <laughs> Effectively. <coughs> oh, excuse me. So, in response to what Soundwave said, Galvatron is actually more interested in the destructive power of... I'm going to call it the sound harmony, because calling it a sound wave is going to get really confusing otherwise. <laughs> Now, at this point, Broadside breaks up that discussion by punching Galvatron for messing up his paint job. And then the fight resumes. I'm just reading what I wrote, everybody. The Constructicons then form Devastator once again, and Perceptor proceeds to blow up the combined Transformer apart with simply one shot from his cannon. Yeah, and, and also, let's say, it doesn't just, like, blow... We've seen Devastator getting quote-unquote blown up before but like into his component like parts of the various robots no he gets blown to smithereens he's dead right devastator is dead he's not dead but as far as the animation goes devastator died here like you know not not even like ultra magnus in the movie of like oh the junkions can put him back together just shattered into a million tiny pieces like it's kind of coronation star scream style effectively <laughs> um and it's like that's it that that should effectively be the last time you ever see devastator but i suspect it will not be at this point, Galvatron and Soundwave depart in search of the source of the harmony that they heard earlier. However, Ultramagnus spots them leaving and takes Broadside and Blaster in pursuit. So Blaster's take on the Soundwave, Andy, in an effort to be, you know, somewhat impartial here, because we love Soundwave, but let's get Blaster's take. Blaster's take on it was that it was, quote, 
Harmonic Bliss, A Musical Kiss. I mean, that feels like something you'd read on like the back, of, or a sticker on, on, on the CD you were buying. <laughs> of just like, you know, a Harmonic Kiss, Blaster. Um, five stars. So yeah, Blaster and Sideways both trying to get a job at the NME at this point in time, by the, the, the sound of it. To which Ultra Magnus responded with, whatever. <laughs> yeah, which, the, 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 the most Ultra Magnus response to this, of just like, can I shoot it? Can I blow it up? Not interested. <laughs> so, Broadside swiftly swiftly passes the two Decepticon and overfly and flies over the city. Excuse me, which Blaster realizes is laid out like a musical harmony. I, I don't know, Andy. I, I looked at this a few times. I'm just like, what? It's not manus. It's not manuscript. I just thought, you know what? Whatever, Blaster. Have your moment. Just have it. I mean, we don't we don't know what musical notation looks like on Cybertron. I guess. <laughs> like maybe there is some like you know I mean much like you know we have like Bar Weep Grana Weep Ninny Bong the Universal Greeting. Maybe this is like the Universal music notation that is different to what we have on Earth. Like it's not it's not our place to question these things. So <laughs> I, can't, I can't do all this. Um, Magnus and Blaster meet with one of the three that we saw earlier, who we come to find out is named. Basso Profundo. <laughs> Again, I, I appreciate all of the, the character names of these singing aliens. Like, we've had Allegra, that is apparently not named after, like, a really bad 70s car. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, like, Basso Profundo is like, that's that's really good. I, I, I like that you're going all in on the music uh, the music references here. Even more so when we find out that the, the, that the planet, excuse me, is named Eurythma. <laughs> yeah, which I think is like being officially confirmed that it was like a tribute to the Eurythmics I don't know I may have just Let's... made that up but I feel like I feel like there was some mention somewhere that 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 was a kind of like yeah the Eurythmics are hot right now just in case you needed a place in time for this episode according to the TF wiki uh, the Eurythmans and their planet uh, were possibly named for the 80s band the Eurythmics yeah which again I also appreciate that so yeah so there we go <laughs> This episode. So anyway, Magnus and Blaster are meeting with Basso Profundo, but Basso is refusing to help them, believing that the harmony that we heard earlier is all his people need to be able to protect themselves. Now, it should be noted at this point that there is a recurring joke in this episode in that Blaster is understanding everything that the Eurythmans... The Eurythmans, is that their... That the inhabitants... The, the, the Eurythmics. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's understanding everything that the Eurythmics are saying and can effectively translate their sort of musical speak and Magnus just doesn't get it. And somehow as well, in how Blaster is translating it, he's also expanding how much has been said by quite a degree. It's almost like playing Chinese whispers, except he's actually doing it correctly and expanding it with far more detail. Yeah, like, th this is one of the cases where I like the idea of this, I like the joke, but man, is it annoying in actual, like, real time watching it when a character says something and you understand what they're saying and then Blaster has to say the exact same thing again, or as you, as you say, like, occasionally expands upon it somewhat, and it's like... This was definitely like, what is this episode? Point to me of like, who who looked at this and be like, no, we've got we got something here. This is this is this is a great one. Everyone, <laughs> the kids will love this. 
Basso drops a hint that Allegra might be able to help them, a fact that is overheard by Galvatron and Soundwave, who were spying outside. As the three Autobots go in search of Allegra, the Decepticons drop a bridge on them. Literally. And to make sure that this has worked, Galvatron blasts the wreckage, and the pair fly off to find Allegra. By, by the way, this, this seems to be like the Decepticons' only remaining plan at this point of like drop X on Y. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like drop asteroid on Cybertron, drop something on Metroplex. Do you get a feeling drop- a Transformers writer might have been a Gundam fan with the whole comet drop stuff? Maybe. I mean, yeah, you know, we, we, do, we do love a good a good colony drop. But yeah, this seems to be like the, the just plan A, B and C for Galvatron now. is like, what can we drop on them? And it's like, mm. you know, may, maybe vary it up a bit. I don't know. Just saying. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I did mean colony drop, not comet drop. So thank you for that. Uh, so where do we get? Yes. So they've, they've, the Decepticons have now flown off after dropping the bridge. Basso watches the two Decepticons leave and fellow Eurythmon, Z-Bop Scandana... See, I mean, you can't tell me that's not a good name. It's a great name. <laughs> Zebop Scandana. I'm going to say it that way every time, hopefully. Uh, you... I mean, I, I feel like, it, is, is, it, is it too late to change the, the name of this podcast? Can we can we just call it Zebop Scandana from now on? <laughs> that could be our spin-off show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. when we start talking about the music of Transformers, we should call it Zebop Scandana. <laughs> so, Zebop Scandana uses a harmony... To help the Autobots emerge out of the rubble, clearly meaning that Galvatron's effort to blast them into smithereens to make sure they were dead was really, really naff. Yeah, I mean, this this officially, we now know Perceptor is stronger than Galvatron, because Perceptor <laughs> can destroy Devastator in, in, in a single blast. Galvatron can't destroy anybody with a single blast anymore. Shots fired, literally. <laughs> <laughs> So at this point now, Blaster realises that Zebop Scandana was creating part of the Harmony, which originally blew the Autobots and Decepticons out of space. And, um, I won't keep calling him the full name, but Zebop says, his, Z-Bop says he is sympathetic to their cause and will help them find Allegra. Fast forward now, the two Decepticons meet with Allegra and offer to help her overthrow Basso in return for the secret of the Harmony. She obliges and starts to sing her, her, oh God, her part of the harmony. That's the one I was thinking of. My brain went foggy there, everyone. Sorry. So Soundwave records that and now has one third of the harmony in essence. But to Galvatron's rage, sorry, but then that's why Galvatron gets really annoyed. Because it's only at this point they realise each person is part of the harmony. Basso and Z-Bop also make up part of the harmony as well. So they effectively need to record all three of them singing to merge it into one to have the complete harmony. But with all that being said now, the Autobots arrive with Z-Bop and Soundwave is testing part of the harmony he has by destroying a rock. The Autobots now set up an ambush, having seen them done this. But Z-Bop is so distressed by the fact that Allegra is working with the Decepticons, he does what Cliff Jumper would do in any given day, a nice homage there, and just runs into attack effectively, giving away their position. Galvatron starts firing, firing, excuse me, and Zebop takes refuge in Ultra Magnus's cab. Something I don't think we have seen happen at all, Andy, since Ultra Magnus was introduced. No, no, it's uh, that's a uh, yeah, a unique moment. I, 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 I uh, to the point where I had a moment of like, wait, Ultra Magnus has a taxi, and I'm like, <laughs> oh no, not that cab. Like, what, what's wrong with me? <laughs> 
Soundwave then begins battering the Autobots with the harmony he currently has recorded. Zebop then counters with his part of the harmony, prompting Soundwave to now promptly record that, now meaning he has two-thirds of the harmony recorded and puts that to good use with devastating effect. No pun intended, Devastator's dead, don't forget. <laughs> with the Autobots now apparently gone again, Galvatron terminates the alliance with Allegra. She attempts to attack them with her part of the harmony, but Soundwave retaliates by firing the two-part harmony right back at her, knocking her out in the process. Much to Galvatron's chagrin, because he wanted to get some revenge on her, and is basically just holding her by one of her arms. And then, at this moment, the Autobots climb out of the hole which they were then like fell into because of the, the carnage of the harmony. And they start attacking while Allegra is still being held by Galvatron. And basically she just gets dropped when Galvatron gets shot. It's like, how is she not dead? Yeah, I mean, uh, multiple times over, like, how is she basically unharmed by this? Like, you know, she's she's been hit by this, like, incredibly destructive waveform, basically. Then, yeah, she gets dangled around by Galvatron. Then she gets dropped. And she's like, no, I'm fine. It's like, are you? Are you? I... I, I think you might need to get a second opinion on that from the local doctor. Well, Andy, we've said all of that and how clearly these inhabitants are pretty indestructible. You know what can kill one of them? A transformer Perceptor. landing on you. I mean, yes, that would that would hurt somewhat. Because Zebop is crushed by Blaster and Soundwave accidentally falling on him while they are struggling. Galvatron, like, grabs Soundwave and departs, leaving Allegra cradling the somehow not flattened corpse of Zebop in her arms. At this point, though, all is not lost, because we come to discover that the Harmony also has sort of um, healing capabilities. And by healing, I mean revival capabilities. Because literally three seconds later, Zebop's back alive, and Magnus effectively goes, cool, let's go get them. <laughs> And they go. <laughs> oh man, this episode. So, back at the landing site where all of this began. The rest of the Autobots and Decepticons are still fighting each other. Including Andy, Superior, Superion, excuse me. And the Constructicons are there. They're not dead. Yeah. Yeah. Confirmed. Right. Not dead. <laughs> everyone, everyone is fine, apparently. Now, Hotspot, at this point, voices to Perceptor that he really hopes that Magnus, Blaster, and Broadside would hurry up and return. Now, the Arithmics, yeah, that's what we called them, didn't we, the inhabitants, uh, have spotted the battle, and Basso then uses a computer referred to as a harmonic amplifier to direct a destructive harmony from him at the battle to try and make it stop. Are you keeping up, everyone? Because this is really confusing. Now, Defensor Andy is apparently here as well, <laughs> because sure. Yeah. At times fighting alongside Hotspot, who is part of Defensor. <laughs> so if anyone, if anyone can explain to me how that works, um, then I've got a job for you working for ACOM. Animating Transformers. Oh, Because, um, yeah, that is, that is one of the most glaring animation errors of all, of like, wait, are you not the body of the guy you're literally stood right next to? Like... I don't... What? Oh, it was pretty damn impressive, wasn't it? So... Now, yeah. I mean, the thing I've got written down here is that Defensor was forced to disassemble. But that doesn't 
like you said, if he's right next to Hotspot, it, that, that doesn't work. Sorry. Yeah. So the, the two factions fight on. Basso is, de- is like depressed by everything that's happening. And his aide points out that he needs Allegra and Zebop to complete the harmony for it to have full effect. Because apparently, Andy, he forgot what he told them earlier. <laughs> I mean, he has had quite a rough, like, five minutes. So I will <laughs> forgive him for forgetting some important information, having been literally crushed to death by two Transformers. So, at this point, Galvatron and Soundwave arrive, and Soundwave begins playing two-thirds of the harmony, shaking the city, and this ends up provoking Basso into using his part of the harmony, the third part, if you will, which allows Soundwave to record that, and now he subsequently has the entire harmony recorded and somehow mixed within his tape deck into one complete track. Fair play, Soundwave. Fair play. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, 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 my main question of this is like, what tape do you think he recorded it on? Like, I want to know. Oh, like, Rumble. What, did, it's Rumble or Frenzy. He, it's one or the other. Can I just kind of like imagine like Rumble in his like New York accent being really annoyed at having music recorded on him <laughs> and being used as like Soundwave's impromptu mixtape? Um, but there's also like my head canon that like Soundwave is always making mixtapes and that's how he can do it so quickly. Like he's making, I know he's it, it, like, like Galvatron's like, have you made be a new mixtape? Like, <laughs> better not be any Spice Girls on this one. As a command. Oh. It's got his vision. Like this is why he's such a good DJ at parties. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we've seen him. We've seen him rocking, rocking a, a party. Yeah. So, like, he's he's clearly a mix master. So he now uses the, this being Soundwave. Excuse me. Uses the complete harmony to to attack the city. Pleased with how things have worked out, Galvatron then announces their next targets are Metroplex on Earth and then Cybertron. Just leave Metroplex alone. I'm just going to say, I, I just, I just want to come out here and say, come on, guys. Like, why? I mean, Metroplex isn't even getting involved in any of these fights anymore. Like, he's not even really kind of, like, engaged in this. Why Why are you just picking on Metroplex all the time? He just wants to hang out with his, I don't know, his, his other little robot that goes inside him. I don't know how to respond to that. Um... <laughs> So, Ultra Magnus is a is sorry, Ultra Magnus's party, excuse me, arrive back at the city, see it's completely devastated, and that their fellow Autobots are badly damaged. The Eurythmics are now able to repair Perceptor and the Protector Bots with a harmony, because as we've established earlier, based on the revival of Zebop Scandana, it has healing capabilities. See, I don't, I don't understand how that works with Transformers, though. Like, I, I feel like in my head I can make sense of that with, like, a human of, like, well, maybe the harmony, like, vibrates the heart in the same way as, like, you know, the AD might do. And I can, I can work with that in my head, but the idea that you could repair a Transformer with sound? Mm, I, I, I realise this is a strange, like, hill to die on in this episode particularly, <laughs> but it's still the point where I'm like, I'm not sure that makes sense, as if the rest of it somehow does. I don't know how to respond to all this, though. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say, if Soundwave produces sound waves, it must work. I mean, I guess you could argue, like, if Soundwaves could, like, damage Autobots, then therefore it can also repair them, which mm. I think is a bit of a a bit of a tenuous thing. But sure, let's let's just go with that. Because... I mean, actually, as a thought, do we see the Eurythmics? It's really weird calling them that. Um, do we see the Eurythmics? actually repair the city at all using their harmonies. 
I can't remember if we do, but I'm wondering if that's like the get out of jail free and that like literally their waves just repair. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be what they're going with is like it can just basically repair anything or maybe just anything that's essential life form. Like I realised, you know, it's alien music stuff. It can do whatever they the writers want it to. I don't really know why I, I've made that distinction in my head, but somehow it, I did. <laughs> So Galvatron and Soundwave arrive on Earth and begin attacking Metroplex with the Harmony. But the other Autobots soon arrive with the three Eurythmics, that's even funnier saying that now, <laughs> who nullifies Soundwave's weapon. At which point, Galvatron then shouts, How can they defeat our perfect sound? <laughs> and then Soundwave simply responds by saying, With anti-sound. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, wasn't 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 expecting Coldplay to be referenced in this in this episode. But. Oh, oh my god! Now at this point, in what I think is a real invasion of privacy here, Andy, Blaster grabs Soundwave like in midair and proceeds to press various buttons on him to erase Soundwave's tapes. To which Soundwave then says, "My tapes! You've erased my tapes." <laughs> Yeah, it's like I had my, 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 my Celine Dion collection on one of those. Realised there's some unreleased songs. What have you done? <laughs> my next album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually, yeah, it's actually like is is like him, Galvatron, Cyclonus is their like three piece band. It's like the the, the new the, the new Beastie Boys, but yeah, it's all 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 gone. I mean, perhaps the ultimate joke would be like. I had the only other backup of all the Autobot history records on one of those tapes. And now you've erased that as well. I've got this vision now that the three-piece Galvatron group you just mentioned is called Galvatunes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would that would work. I mean, maybe that's the name of their first album. I don't know. Galvatron and the Soundwaves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, send us messages on Twitter, everyone, or Instagram, if you've got a better name for their band. What would their, what would their band name be? Let's hear it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've already there, there is that like official like Transformers cover band, the Cybertronic Spree. So you're not allowed that one. Oh, that's a good name. That that's, that's a good sorry. name. It, it is a very good name, but you're not allowed that one. So. Galvatron is really annoyed because at this point, Andy, traditionally we would get the classic Decepticon retreat. However, the Decepticons clearly already got the memo. They've already started leaving, and Galvatron's annoyed that he hadn't ordered a retreat, but then ends up fleeing anyway. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you know, it's it's all part of the part of the fun, part of the theatre that that he gets to announce the retreat. So it's kind of a bit a bit of a harshing his vibes that uh, that they've done it already. <laughs> we then see the the Autobots return the Eurythmics to their world. Again, it's a weird phrase to say. Where Ultra Magnus tells them that they need to learn to live in harmony. And the episode ends. Good God. I'm going to be honest, Andy, I don't know how I feel about this episode because the story is utterly mental. The animation is is utter garbage in places. There are some interesting ideas in this. The execution is by no means good. It is a, it's quite the mixtape of an episode. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the weird thing. Like, I, I really wish that there's like an alternative timeline where I could see a better animated version of this episode because I feel like the animation screws it over so badly in terms of how it puts it across. Because I, I sort of, I like the general idea of this, like the sand weapon, the three-part harmony that they have to combine together. 
like all of that stuff is pretty good um and i sort of like a lot of what it does around that but then there's so much other like messy stuff you know around the edges of that that kind of stops it working and it's it's a shame because i i actually i like the general gist and the general vibe of this episode and it feels like it should be pretty strong like i i certainly having kind of raised the question earlier of like how did this end up being like a, a, a one of the episodes that got transferred to vhs like everywhere I suspect that this decision was probably made before this was animated and somebody read the script or the, like the first draft and was like, oh no, this sounds like this will be a really good episode. Like it has like, you know, there's a lot of different Transformers involved in it, including some dead ones, but we won't talk about that. Um, like, you know, the, the general plot line seems like it's really strong. We've got you triple know, changes. We've got like the big combiner things. We've got lots of, yeah, let's put this one on the tape. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it feels like it should be a strong episode, but it just kind of gets mishandled. Um, and I feel like that does kind of... It probably does it an injustice. Like, I feel like the script for this is probably better than the finished product. And I wish I could see, a, you know, hey, m maybe one day when they go back and they remake all of Transformers, they'll remake this and it'll be a masterpiece. And everyone will be like, oh my God, this is like the greatest episode of Transformers ever. So, let's get to the TF wiki, Andy. Let, let, let's delve into some notes, because there's a lot, people. Like, there, yeah, if you right. want to see all the animation or technical glitches, go to TF Wiki's page. It is insane how many yeah, there are. We'd, prob we'd probably need another, like, two-hour podcast just to talk through all the animation errors in this one. It's absolutely bonkers. So, Carnage in C Minor is perhaps the most famously error-laden episode in the series, and a regular contender among fans for the worst G1 episode. Even by the cartoon's own low standards, the art and animation are of poor quality, while the sheer volume of animation errors, many of them glaringly obvious, is also unmatched. Add to that the irritating sing-song speech and shrilly modulated voices of the alien protagonist, and you've got an episode that is pretty widely loathed. Despite all this, the actual script and plot are certainly not the weakest to grace the series, certainly not the level of, say, B.O.T. from season two. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that episode. <laughs> so, the the Eurythmons, as they are described in here, not the Eurythmics, but for the purposes of this, the Eurythmics, uh, are all musical-related puns, as we talked about during our recap. Allegra is named after the Italian operetta and opera composer Salvatore Allegra, or Italian tempo marking Allegro, while Basso Profondo is derived from the singing style Basso Profondo. So Profondo is the character, Profondo is, the, is that style. While all of these are related to classical music, Zebop Scandana is named after a popular musical guitarist, Carlos Santana and his 1981 album Z-Bop and the different shows. I did not put two and two together on that. Yeah, it's it certainly it's it's a bit of a a bit a bit of a, a stretch, but it certainly makes sense once you think about it. My God. So, a random bit of trivia. Apparently, Galvatron and Soundwave are briefly seen holding hands whilst flying. Yes, I, I, I feel like I, I did see that thing and I felt like I wanted to kind of go back and, and find that moment. Maybe that can be our thumbnail for the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Ch challenge for you, Jeremy. Oh, so Make that thumbnail for the podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Because there is, I feel like there, there is there is a, a bit of a something between like Galvatron and Sandwave in this episode. Like there, there's, there's a bit of a rapport there, so it makes sense. I'm game with that. Fine by me. Yeah. 
This episode marks the only time Broadside is shown in jet mode in the US cartoon. Further to that, the model that was used is actually his pre-final model, which had previously only been used in the 1986 Triple Changer commercial. His final jet mode wouldn't actually be used until the Headmasters cartoon. Which, just to clarify, by the Headmasters cartoon, they are referring specifically to the Japanese Headmasters. So, the, the, so the Takara season four, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So, one final note here. Galvatron's plan to smash Metroplex with a comet is based on the popular sci-fi idea of kinetic bombardment. The trope would, would see use in an issue of IDW's 2010 ongoing series as well. Yeah. Fair, fair dues. And I mean, again, it's given that the, the Galatron just seems to have a thing for dropping things on people, you know, it, it, it all makes sense. So there we go. I'm actually curious. Talk, talk about foreign localization. <laughs> all right, this gets better, Andy. So, foreign localization. I need to read out some of these. So, the German name for this episode was The Slaughter in C Minor. <laughs> We then got, uh, in Italian, apparently, its first dub, this episode was called Deadly Symphony. Yeah, that's a good... That's probably a better title, actually, because there's... Well, I don't know. I guess there's... I was going to say there is kind of carnage in this episode, but that's more just the animation again, so... (laughs) Uh, In French, apparently, uh, this was named as Massacre in C Minor. That's a good name. Okay. Now, the Japanese name for this episode, Andy... It's it's not what you think it's going to be. Uh, so so it's not Sandwave and Galvatron hold hands. No, it's not. It's not. So apparently, the Japanese title for this episode is Challenge of the Music Planet. Okay, <laughs> alarmingly close to Challenge of the Gobots. Maybe they looked at the animation. Maybe they looked at the animation quality and assumed wrongly it was a Gobots episode. <laughs> Someone didn't get the memo. That sounds like another property that we don't own at this point. <laughs> And uh, there we go, everyone. I think that is going to wrap up this discussion on this episode. So, Andy, any uh, any other additional thoughts on these three episodes in general before we move on to uh, to, to the final closing part of, of this podcast for today? Yeah, well, I, I I will say that I did I did in our discussion of Carnage in C minor I did refer to uh, Soundwave as a mixmaster. I realised that was incredibly insensitive of me because mixmaster is a, a constructicon and is now dead. So <laughs> I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to apologise for my insensitive remarks um, and to mixmaster's friends and family in this difficult time. Please don't cancel Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was an innocent error. I meant nothing by it. Apologies to Mixmaster. Oh my word. So, ladies and gentlemen, next time on the podcast, we will be delving into episodes 15 to 17 from season three of Transformers, of which, according to the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, Andy, we have the following episode titles Fight or Flee, Web World, and Ghost in the Machine, the follow up to Starscream's Ghost. Yeah, I'm I'm quite excited for all of these. I feel like the other two episode titles I recognise and I don't know why, which means that that might be like an ill omen. It's going to be awful, and that's why I recognise the names. But maybe it's that they're quite good. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to checking these out. Um, and, and I will say actually quickly the the other thing that I did not mention about Carnage in C Minor 
did you notice we got the new season three music for the first time as background music? I did notice that actually. Now you mentioned, I thought, oh, that, that works really well for like a fight yeah. scene. That just works really well. Yeah, it's like it's far more like sort of Transformers the movie soundtrack themes. Like it kind of riffs off of like sort of a lot of the motifs of that. Um, yeah, kind of crazy that it's taken us like 14 episodes into season three, like, you know, over half of it basically to get there. But yeah, I was very excited because I like a lot of those tracks and I was like, oh, cool. We finally got to the point where the new music is kicking in and, you know, you finally, you finally found like 50 quid to throw at some session musicians <laughs> to create some new songs for you, I guess. Um, but yeah, that was, that was probably the most notable thing out of Carnage of C minor is like, you know, I, Probably not deliberately that they saved it for a music-based episode, but it's like, ah, oh, the, the new songs, I like these. These, these are all good. They can stay. Yeah, season three soundtrack, good. It is, for sure. So there we go, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not leave us a rating on your platform of choice? Or if you would feel so inclined, we would love you for you to tell a friend or someone you know about the podcast if they are a Transformers fan. And just tell them they can just dive in anywhere, pretty much. We've covered so much at this point. Also worth noting, given that we mentioned it on our next podcast, which will be available in a fortnight's time, for reference, at the time of recording... That uh, if you want to listen to our recap of the Star Screams Ghost episode, which is again the part one of the story before we get to Ghost in the Machine that we'll be talking about next time, you can find that in our last podcast, which was episode twenty-two. If you want to find us on Twitter or Instagram, our username is at Star Screams Pod. Mister Andy Hanley, any closing thoughts for today before we end the episode proper? No, I mean, if if you'd like to write in and tell us how big Broadside actually is, that would be be useful, because I still don't know. Um, But no, (laughs) aside from that, yeah, like I say, looking forward to the next batch of episodes. um, And, you know, perhaps our palate has been cleansed by these three, because, you know, they've not quite been the the, the pinnacle of, of the form. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what comes up next, and and also every episode we're we're inching closer to to getting to Call of the Primitives, which I continue to big up as a really good episode. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm look, I'm I'm still excited that we're we're moving ever closer to that as well. Yeah, I mean, a quick glance at like the episodes remaining in season three on Hasbro Pulse, that will be in most likely our second to last episode covering season three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, indeed. So that's probably in... In fact, you know, let me try and figure this out quickly. So, one, two... So about three podcast time, Andy, by the look of it. Yeah, there you go. Make, make a note in your diaries, folks. <laughs> there we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you did. We'd love to hear some thoughts. And again, if you fancy checking out the video version of this so you can watch us discuss these episodes, head on to YouTube. Search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast and you should find our YouTube channel just fine. Thank you very much for listening. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we have been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.